Well, great to see uh, many of you here today. And just put up a hand if you were here yesterday for the Parenting um, in a Digital Age seminar. A few of you, that is brilliant. Well, I just... For those of you who weren't there, I'm Catherine Hill, as Caroline has just said. I'm the UK Director at Care for the Family. Um, I'm married to Richard. We've been married for 32 years this year. And we have four children um, who range from 29 down to 22. Uh, three of them are married. And in fact, I said yesterday, three got married in a 13-month period. So we were very busy and we're now very poor. But uh, it was all very good. So, uh, marriage. Now, I imagine... Many of you are here with a husband or wife, and there'll be others of you that are here on your own. And in this hour, we are not going to have lots of time when you have to gaze lovingly into each other's eyes. Um, and those of you who are here on your own just feel a little bit awkward. Um, that's not going to happen. It's going to be mostly me talking from the front and hopefully encouraging you on this journey of marriage. But just to start with, I thought I'd tell you how I met Richard. And um, we were both, uh, we both trained to be lawyers and we were at law college in Guildford in England. And at law college, you had a very crazy system. So at university, nobody really bothers if you turn up to lectures or not. Whereas at law college, you had to sign in at the beginning of the week and you had set classes and set seat numbers. And I was class R seat one and he was class R seat 15, which happened to be directly behind. So he got to know the back of my head quite well. Now, I have absolutely no sense of direction whatsoever. In fact, I've been via um, gender and spirituality and Heather Moore's Q&A even to get here. So uh, I didn't, we went out for a meal. A whole class went out for a meal in, in Guildford and I didn't have a clue how to get home. And I recognized Richard and I knew that his accommodation was fairly near where mine was. So I just went up at the end of the evening and I said, can I follow you home? And <laughs> he thought this was the best chat-up line in the universe. And as they say, the, the rest is history. Now, this is the only bit of um, talking that you'll need to do. But if um, you're here with your husband or wife, just remind each other how you met. If you're here on your own, you might want to talk to the person next to you. Or just have a little think. This will just be for two minutes about how you first met, whether that was a short time ago or many, many years ago. I'll give you a couple of minutes, and then we'll come back together, and we'll get going. Okay, let's come back uh, together. I hope that was some good memories. Maybe you have, maybe you had different memories of how you how you first met or when you first uh, set eyes on each other. But marriage is um, a challenge. It's a roller coaster. It's a joy for many of us. Um, we will have, well, we're all in this room, be in different situations. So some of us may have been married for many, many years. We've maybe had um, silver, ruby, um, maybe even working towards uh, gold wedding anniversaries. Others of us may have just met. You may just have been married. You might be here and you might be thinking of getting married. So we'll be, some of us a short time, some a long time. But also within that, we will all have gone through different seasons of marriage. So uh, some of us will have gone through times when it's been completely brilliant and plain sailing and others uh, through times when it's actually been really tough and really challenging. And our experience is that every single couple goes through both of those times. And what we want to do today is just look at some of the lessons that we can learn, principles that we can learn um, that will enable us to enjoy those good times, but also um, to weather the storms when they come. 
Now, we only have an hour together, and, uh, but we will have some good principles to share with you. It won't be that one little thing um, may change everything, but my experience is a marriage can be spiraling downwards and it can just take one thing, one idea, one encouragement uh, with God's wind behind it that can kickstart that marriage up in the opposite direction. So I wonder if I asked you what you think the key is to a good, a long, a healthy relationship, a healthy marriage. I wonder what you would say. Well, we went onto the streets of a couple of cities and we asked the people that we met that question. And these are some of their replies. The key to a good marriage is, without a shadow of a doubt, is trust. No trust, no relationship. Lots of patience. And good communication and understanding. Trust. Complete and utter trust. As well as our time apart. So he goes fishing and I can go and have a coffee and take the kids out. So we have time apart from each other and then time together. Because then you appreciate more time together when you're apart. I think a lot of trust, a lot of communication. Honestly? I think the key of the good marriage is uh, love and trust, you know. And if you got love and trust, I think you can have a really good relationship. Trust and understanding. And building a good relationship, friendship first. And understanding each other and patience as well. Married 59 years. We've been married 59 years. And what would you say is the key to a good marriage? Give and take. Give and take. Marry and take, did I give? (laughs) (laughs) Work hard at it. (laughs) Yes, yes. And and for the man, just give in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you wanted the truth. (laughs) If the man is working, it's good for the man to work. Make sure the man is working. And then, that's a good good marriage. (laughs) Full-time work. (laughs) She is so fantastic. That's quite an old clip, but I still use it because I love that lady uh, so much. Now, marriage is an incredible theme that runs through Scripture. So if you think about it, it's bookended. We have the in the Garden of Eden, God putting man and woman together. It's not good for man to be alone. Um, the man's to leave and to cleave and to uh, become one flesh. And then right through Scripture, through all the different books, there's that theme of marriage. Um, through uh, the wisdom literature, um, references, lots of references in, in Proverbs. Um, through the prophets, the whole story of Hosea. And Paul talks about marriage in the letters. Jesus talks about marriage in the Gospels. And then right through to Revelation, where we end with the wedding of the Lamb. Marriage is God's idea. And it's his best in terms of creating a stable uh, unit for bringing up children and a stable unit that can be at the heart of a stable society. And so I thought we'd look at one verse to really uh, cover the things we're going to be looking at uh, today. And it's one from right in the middle of the Bible, from the wisdom literature. The wisdom literature is a principles. It gives us principles for living well. It's how things generally turn out. And this is a verse that's often read at weddings. And it's from Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. And it says this, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If they fall down, they can help each other up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. 
But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Some good friends told us recently about a little mantra that they used to use when their children were little, when they were particularly busy, and it was divide and conquer. And what they would mean was if, say, they were going on holiday, one of them would go and find the wetsuits and the other would go and pack the car. One would go and find the suitcases. Uh, one would go and do the grocery shops. They'd split up and they'd get the jobs done. And they said to us, that was such a good bit of advice for getting jobs done, for being efficient, for getting stuff done. But it's not great advice for building a marriage and much better for building a marriage. And they were telling us this, it's the, the thing they adopted was called better together. And how can we, that's what we're going to look at now, how can we be together in our marriages, in all the different things, not being independent, not going off and doing our own thing, but actually being together, standing together in unity. There's power in togetherness. And uh, we're going to come back to that phrase time and again through some of the practical things we're going to look at. There are so many pressures on us today uh, to live separate, independent lives. Um, It's one of the schemes, I believe, that the enemy uses uh, to come between us, to make us busy, to make us work independently. And so let's look at what it means to stand almost in the opposite spirit. What does it mean to be intentional about being together in our relationship, in the good times and when the challenges come? And that's really, if there's one word for you to take away from this morning, it would be that word, together. What does it look like for you in your relationship, at your stage, to be together? And I'm going to look at it three different areas. And the first area is the area of how we communicate. How can we work together? How can we use communication to draw us together in our marriages? Now, there's quite a fun story about a women's Bible study group. And these women would get together and they'd study the Bible, but sometimes they'd look at different themes as well. And one week they were looking at the theme of marriage. And the lady leading the study, she said, girls, all get out your phones. And so everyone got their their phones out. And she said, when did you last tell your husband uh, that you loved him? Well, some of them said, well, only this morning. We say every morning we kiss before he goes out of the door. And then again in the evening, we tell each other um, that we love each other. Some said, "Mm, not sure, a while ago. Some probably said, you know, way back when we got married. It's not something that we often say to each other. So she said, okay, get your phones and send this message to your husband. I love you, sweetheart. Then she said, What I want you to do now is swap phones. So they swap phones and the answers that came back were revealing. So that's the text. I love you, sweetheart. First one that came back. Am I dreaming? And then the next one. Who is this? (laughs) Or what about this? What now? Did you bump the car again? (laughs) Or this one, a bit more sinister. Don't, uh, I thought we agreed we wouldn't drink during the day. <laughs> Don't beat about the bush. Tell me how much you need. That's a bit sad, isn't it? Your mother is coming to stay, isn't she? Sad face. <laughs> 
bit of fun, but the way we speak to each other and they're taking those opportunities to say positive things to each other. Little things like I love you. That builds togetherness in our marriage. Now, I used to work as a family lawyer and I would hear heartbreaking stories of couples that had simply drifted apart. And so often it just began with this lack of attention to positive communication. Don't you remember Terry Hatcher? She's, uh, she was a star of Superman and also Desperate Housewives. And she was asked what was at the heart of her marriage. And despite all the celebrity status that surrounds her, she said this. She said, loneliness. She said, there's nothing worse than being lonely in a marriage. And I absolutely was And, you know, over the years, so many, often women, um, but it can be the husbands as well, have written to us at Care for the Family. And they've said, I've been in this marriage for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, we've We've set up home together. We've made love together. We've had children together. But I'm lonely. It's possible to be lonely in a marriage if we don't work at our communication How can we do that? How can we build good communication? Well, the first thing is talking, talking to each other about the things that really matter. Life needs to happen. Administration needs to happen. We need to talk to each other about who's picking up the children, when, when the car gets its MOT done, who's going to which church meeting or whatever else it is. But let's not forget to take that communication a little bit deeper as well and try and talk about how we feel. I found that really hard when we were married. I went away to boarding school. When we married, I really had no vocabulary for even talking about how I felt. And we've discovered over learning over 32 years how much better it is in our marriage if we can, even at the level we can begin to, talk about how we feel about different things as well as about each other. And our background, the way we've been brought up, uh, the role models that we've observed, they all impact how we communicate. So let's take time to, to communicate and to talk with each other. But then there's listening. And most of us, I think, find it easier to talk than to listen. The book of James says this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Someone once said, that's why we have two ears and just one mouth. But uh, those of you who were here yesterday heard me speak about the digital age and the fact that we are so often now 24-7 connected and distracted. We have mobile phones. I have a mobile phone uh, and I use it as my alarm next to the bed to wake me up in the morning. But the trouble is when I'm putting it on, I see an interesting tweet or a text message or something. And I'm looking at my husband said, will you put that thing away? I thought you wrote a book on this. And uh, he's right. (laughs) But and we've been out for coffee with each other and we've both been he's on his phone doing something. And I think, well, I'm not just going to sit here while he's on his phone. So I go on my phone. And before we know where we are, we've been sitting together going out for coffee for a quarter of an hour. And we've both not made eye contact. We've not said a word because we've just been on our phones. I think this is a massive thing for us in this digital age um, to learn how to use technology well, but also how to put it aside and have that connection and listen um, to each other. It's about being present. It's about giving eye contact. It's about being interested. So even in the car, if I'm on my phone and my husband Richard is driving, 
I will be in another world if I'm on Facebook or using some other technology. I'm there. I'm not with him. I'm not in the same place as him. And it's really important to make those moments to, to do that. The other thing is we'll all process differently. Some of us will be external processors and some will be internal processors. I'm an external processor. My first thought out loud is never my last on the subject. My husband, on the other hand, is an internal processor. He thinks it all out. First thing he says, he generally won't change his mind. And we get into trouble with that because I will say something and I'm really just working it out out here. And he will come in with expert, timely advice, tell me what I need to do. And I actually don't need to hear that. And uh, then I say the same thing again a few minutes later. And he'll say, well, I just told you you should do X and Y. That's what not what I need. I just need him to listen um, rather than coming in with the advice. And there's a fun little clip here, which I think you'll enjoy. Um, it's called What About the Nail? So let's have a look at this. It's just there's all this pressure you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head it is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop would... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're out. not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Come on, Ow. if you would just... Don't! Try to see things my way Do I have to keep on talking? Sometimes all we really need is someone who will just give us that dignity, that value of being listened to. So it's talking and there's uh, listening. And then the third thing is trying, when we are listening, try and understand what our husband or wife is really saying. Just try and think about what is behind the words uh, that they're saying. So an ongoing issue in our marriage is the fact that I never, I seem to use car, wa uh, car windscreen wash like everyone else um, has cups of coffee. I just use it all the time. I really like to have the windscreen really clean. So it's always empty in the car. And when my husband gets in the car, he gets really mad uh, because there's no windscreen wash in there. And uh, he'll come home and he'll say, you never put any windscreen wash in the car. And while you're at it, you never fill it up with uh, diesel either. And um, he, he, that's how he communicates. He communicates in absolutes. Now, I'm a bit more literal, and I think that's just not fair. That's just not true. I have filled it up. In fact, I filled it up last week, and I filled it up with petrol uh, or diesel. Petrol would be a bad idea. Um, 
my, I, so my response is then just to get cross with him um, and to say, you know, that's just not, that just is factually uh, not true. It's inaccurate. And um, I would rest my case. And I think the issue um, was sorted. But the next week, we'd then find ourselves having the same discussion again. And a light bulb came on when I understood what he was really saying. The issue wasn't really about the windscreen wash in the car. The translation of his annoyance went a bit more like this. My dear, lovely wife, just at the moment, I'm feeling a bit stressed by things that are going on in the workplace. My blood pressure and stress levels are increased when I get in the car to go to a meeting and I find not only there's no petrol in the car, but no windscreen uh, wash either. Uh, This is compounded by my sense that I do the lion's share of the work and sorting out things with the car. Um, Please help me by occasionally putting windscreen washer in the car and I think well of course I will that changes everything and I realize the issue isn't about the windscreen wash it's about him feeling stressed at work and I can help him with that and that changes everything we had another example where you flip it around the other way. And uh, I discovered I have my own way of communicating sometimes as well. I came home one November to find we have these two had these two lovely holly bushes in our garden. And he had attacked both of them. So they looked completely ridiculous. They looked like lollipops. And we had no holly. And I was wanting to use holly for Christmas. So I was mad. I said, what on earth were you doing attacking these holly trees? And he said, I didn't ask you because I knew you'd just say no. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, you always just say no. That's your first reaction. Shall we go out tonight? No. Uh, Shall we go and see this film? No. Shall we do this? No. And I thought, he is right. I think I'm a bit more cautious. And um, I would have said no definitely to the holly tree. So uh, then I realized actually, I'm not really saying no. Um, My translation was a bit more like this. My darling husband, when I say no, I'm not really saying no. I'm reflecting my cautious nature. I'm inviting you just to push back a little and test the strength of my resolve. And in fact, if you give me a little bit of time, I will probably come round to your way of thinking. So no doesn't always mean no. Taking time just to understand behind what we're really saying, not just the words, but the feelings behind it, and probably another issue. Again, that can really help with our communication. So communication requires effort. It's about talking. It's about listening. And it's about understanding what our husband or wife is really, really saying. And if we can try and work at those things as we're able to, it can draw us uh, together. Okay, the second way, so we've had communication. The second way is about cherishing. That's a word that is often um, not used so much today, but probably you'll have said it in your uh, marriage vows. And here's a clip from our course, The Marriage Sessions, uh, which shows you a little bit about that. Let's look at this. I, Ben. I, Jade. I, Loretta. Take you, Emlyn. Take you, Lucinda. To be my wife. To be my wife. To be my husband. You say it. You're telling me. To have and to hold. From this day forward. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. Definitely poorer. (laughs) In sickness and in health. To love and to 
to... Do you know what word? I know what word is here. I know the word dismissing. We only did this a few months ago, we should know. <laughs> I'm a church organist. I play for a lot of weddings. To love and to care. To look after. I think it's a bite. Oh, it's too old. Look. I don't know. <laughs> That's ch- it's church. It's cherish, isn't it? What's the word? Cherish. To love and to cherish. I think cherish. To love and to cherish. All right. <laughs> I think I got that one wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Till death is too part. Till death is too part. Cherish. That's an offer. It's not a word we often use today, but it's it's a powerful part of marriage. It's about caring. It's about putting the other one first. Here's, here's a little bit of research. In the first five or so years of marriage, what is important in building strong relationships is how we resolve conflict, is how we manage conflict. But after that, the most important thing is the positive. It's how we cherish each other, how we show one another um, that we love each other how we protect, how we care for each other, which is when you look at those marriage vows, when you look at what God intends for marriage, uh, one of us serving the other, submitting to the other, caring for the other, loving each other, that's what we're called um, to do. Now, care for the family, when we've looked at showing love to each other over the years, we've come back time and again to some research by a guy called Dr. Gary Chapman called The Five Languages of Love. I imagine many of you have heard of that. Just put up a hand if you've come across The Five Love Languages. Oh, not quite so many as I would have thought of. Well, if you know about it, I never, ever tire of hearing about this because I know the theory, but we don't always put it into practice in our marriage. So if you know about this, as I just run through it, think about how you you're putting it into practice. And if it's new to you, you may find, as it was for us, a bit of a light bulb moment in how to build a relationship together. So the five love languages is basically five different ways that we show someone that we love them. And he's called it a language because it's the way we communicate love. And the five different ways are through our words, through our actions, through time, through gifts, and through touch. And I'm going to run through all of them. I'm going to give you a little story about each one. But for each one of us, one or two of those ways will be the way that we need to feel loved. And most of us then communicate love in that same way. We assume that if we need to know that we're loved through words, that's how we show our husband or wife that we love them. We use words. But they may have a different language. They may have a different way of receiving love. It might be that they need to feel love through actions. And so it's as if we miss each other. It's literally as if we speak a different language. It will be as if one is speaking Chinese and the other can only understand English or whatever. And what we simply need to do is to understand this concept and learn the language of love for our husband or wife, speak it to them, and we will find that brings us together in an incredible way. So I'm going to run through these ways. And just as you, th- as you think, think about what way you think is your way and what way is the one for your husband or wife. You can go online and do a little test um, if you don't know. And there's a great book also, The Five Love Languages, which you can, you can buy. Um, so first of all, words. A 
affirming, encouraging, powerful words. We've talked about communication already. But for people for whom words is their love language, this will be really, really powerful. The book of Proverbs, chapter 18, it says, Our words have the power of life and death. And we can simply be speaking words of life into our marriages, breathing life into our marriages through the words um, that we speak. Now, we also, the converse can be true. And if we're quick with our words, it can be very easy to bring our husband or wife down just by the words that we speak as well. Now, my husband is very quick with his words. He's very funny. He often says lovely things about me in front of other people, which I love because words are really important to me. But a couple of years ago, we were um, out with friends for my birthday. We were at a restaurant, and the friends arrived, and they put down a card and a lovely gift. And I opened the card, and it was amazing. It was completely over the top, but they'd written lots of lovely things about me all down one side of this card, and it made me feel a million dollars. And Richard looked over, and he picked it up, and he read it, and he said, Guys, it's only Catherine. And at that moment... I just felt like my little birthday balloon had been popped. And what was a fun evening just didn't feel so much fun anymore. The power of the words that we speak. We went home and we uh, sorted it out. (laughs) Uh, But it was a good lesson to us. Just a little quip that sounded funny at the time actually for me was really hurtful. But we can easily turn that round. And it's very simple, the things that we can say. It's not rocket science. You look lovely in that dress. Um, I heard how you led that meeting really well. I was proud of you. Thank you for making, uh, for cooking. Thank you for the lift to the station. I love you. All different ways that we can communicate love through the words that we speak. And if words are our love language, that will be particularly powerful. That's words. The next one is actions. So this is about showing love to our husband or wife through practical ways, little tasks that show that we care. This is Richard's primary way of feeling loved. He's a better cook than I am. He's really good at DIY. But in a way that I don't quite get, if I change the duvet, iron a shirt, particularly if I do something like sweep up leaves on our, in our garden or something, he really feels, he really feels loved. Now, I remember um, many years ago now, it was my 30th birthday, and I'd noticed there was a bit of intrigue in the house just beforehand. I didn't really think much of it. And then on the day, I came downstairs in the evening to be greeted by a house full of people. He'd organized a surprise party. He'd gone to a massive amount of effort, and uh, there were friends from school, from university, family there. I have to say, my heart sank. That was the last thing I wanted to do on my birthday, but I realized he'd made a great effort, so I went along with it. Well, lo and behold, my 40th birthday, the same thing happened. And I realized then I needed to say something to him about the fact I didn't really like surprise parties. But what I realized then was he was trying to show me through actions that he loved me through all that organizing. And I realized, actually, I just needed to do that for him. And it was his birthday shortly after. I knew there was somewhere he really wanted to go. Our kids were little in those days. And I organized very complicated childcare. And we went out to this place for the day. I lived off the brownie points of that outing for months, even years afterwards. Actions said to him uh, that he was loved. And that brought us together. Then there's touch. Now, touch speaks more powerfully than words um, for many people. And it says you matter. 
You're special. I love you. It's anything from that little brush on the back of the neck right through to making love. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the importance of our sexual relationship in a minute. But touch covers all of those things. And again, this is my husband's other primary way of feeling loved. I'm not particularly touchy-feely. But when we were first going out, if I didn't hold his hand when we were walking down the road... Even now, if I come in the room and he's on the sofa and there's a seat next to him and there's a nice armchair, if I sit in the armchair, he feels I don't really love him. I just don't get it. But I do know that if I sit next to him on the sofa, um, if I'm working on my laptop in the kitchen, if I bring it in and sit next to him in that sort of physical proximity, he, he feels loved. And as I say, I don't really get that, but I do know if I make the effort to do that, um, I Uh, I know he feels loved and it draws us uh, together. And then the next one, time. Time just spent hanging out in each other's company. This isn't about the thing that you're doing. This is just being together, being present together. When uh, we were first going out, I lived in Bristol and Richard lived in Birmingham and he was building a kit car. And I would go every weekend to watch him build this kit car. He genuinely thought I was interested in the car, uh, which I wasn't. Uh, I just wanted to be with him. And we went to huge efforts. Think back. Think back to that moment you talked about when you first met. I imagine most of you went to massive effort just to be in each other's company. Let's try and put those things into our marriages now. It's so easy to take each other for granted A lot of people have something called a date night. That was some great advice we were given. When our four were little, I was at home looking after them. I loved being a mum at home. And I was interested in all the things of their world. The school run, the lost guinea pig, the goldfish, the, um, you know, tea time, story time, all that stuff. Richard then was building up a business and his life was full of emails and the the bottom line of the accounts and work meetings. And this wasn't a decision we made, but slowly and separately, we realized we were beginning to live parallel lives. We weren't together. We weren't connecting. And it took someone to say to us, have a date night. Put a date night in your diary once a week where you can just do something fun together And just that little action made all the difference for us. And we began to connect together again. We began again to be interested in each other's worlds. And uh, we try still to do it now. We're in the empty nest now, but we still find we need to do it because our, our week is as busy as it ever was when we had children. And it doesn't have to be amazingly romantic. Sometimes we get on each other's nerves on it. We don't always do something uh, outside the home. We might just have a nice meal at home together. We might go out for a walk. We might go to the cinema. But the point is, it's in the diary. And our kids, when they were younger, they'd know that it was in the diary. And that, that time was really, really important. And if you can try and put a regular time just for each other in the diary, I think you will find that really feeds your marriage and draws you, uh, draws you together. So that's time. And then gifts. Now, for some people, gifts are an incredible reminder of love. And they connect on an emotional level. This is my other way of feeling loved. Uh, in our consumer society, it's difficult. It's easy to get this one wrong. This isn't about spending money. But this is about the thought 
that counts. Just a little gift could be um, a little bar of chocolate. It could be a magazine. Some little thing that says that we have thought about the other person. I remember our first Christmas carefully planning what I was buying for Richard, making it look beautiful, giving it to him on Christmas morning and being really miffed when he just kind of tore off the paper. He didn't really bother about it and grunted thank you and went on to something else. And I realized gifts weren't important to him, but they are important to me. And he needed to to learn that as well. So that dash on Christmas Eve to Boots um, at five o'clock didn't go down so well. I felt love when he took care in remembering birthdays and Christmas and anniversaries. He went away walking with some friends in Wales not long ago. And uh, on the way back, all the shops were closed and he wanted to buy me some flowers. And he got the guys to do a bit of a detour and go to a garage. And the only flowers that were there um, were not my favorite flowers. He knows I like lovely stalks or tulips in nice brown paper with a bit of raffia. And so orange carnations that were a bit wilted with a reduced sticker on weren't quite my thing. But he bought them. And, you know, I didn't care. I didn't care at all that they weren't my favorite flowers. What made me feel loved was the fact he thought about them. He bought them and he'd given them to me. That's five different ways, powerful tools, I think, of building that togetherness in our marriages through words, through actions, through time, through touch, and through gifts. And study your husband or wife. The Bible tells us in, uh, Paul writes, put on love. Put on love. Like in the morning, you get up and you put on your clothes. This requires intention. But if we can look at each other and work out which ways our husband or wife feels loved, we will find that it makes an incredible difference to that togetherness um, in our marriage. Okay, a couple of other little parts that come under this section of cherish. And the first one, one of the key ways that we bring intimacy to our marriages is through our sexual relationship. The Song of Songs, right in the middle of the Bible, the most incredible love poem. God invented sex. Uh, God delights in it in the context of marriage. It's one of the most powerful ways he's given us uh, to build that togetherness. And in our experience, sex has the most incredible potential to draw us together. But also, It's the area that so often is fraught with conflict, with disappointment, with missed expectation. And I think there is a greater openness in society for talking about sex, but it's an area that's incredibly difficult to talk about in our marriages. And it's an incredibly private um, area for us. The truth is, Most marriages go through times when sex is challenging, when it's not so great. And when we say that very often, we almost hear a bit of sigh of relief in the room when people think we're not the only ones that are going through um, a difficult time in our sexual relationship. It may be after the birth of children. It may be as we're going through the menopause. It may be for any number of other reasons that this area of marriage is challenging. But there are things that we can do that can help us just begin to be together in this area as we're able. 
Maybe we should begin by not taking ourselves too seriously, not expecting our sex life to be like the ones that we see on the TV, in the glossy magazines, where everything is absolutely amazingly wonderful. So the women look incredible, even first thing in the morning, beautiful hair, no smudge mascara. They're wearing slinky little numbers, not an old T-shirt. The men have a six pack, six pack to die for. They have a golden tan. The bedroom is immaculate, white, crisp sheets. There aren't piles of dirty clothes on the floor, baskets of washing, soggy towels, all the things um, that probably are in most of our, our bedrooms as well. Let's remember that is the stuff of the films. Let's uh, enjoy the films, but let's not compare our sex life to them. In his book, 60 Minute Marriage, Rob Parsons uh, says this. He says, in the real world where we live, there are periods there's mind-numbing tiredness and children who are pre-timed to wake at the very hint of passion. He says, enjoy the films, but don't compare your love life to them. Now, there are plenty of marriages, many marriages, where the wife would like to have sex more often than the husband. But generally in our experience, we find it's the other way around. But just listen to the next few minutes and apply it to you and your relationship um, at the level that works um, for you. But time and again, if we say to couples, if I said to you, what one thing would you like to change in your marriage? We find that nine times out of 10, um, the husband will say sex. He'll say, I would like my wife to initiate sex. I would like to have sex more often. But then we ask the wives the same question. Nine times out of 10, they will say something different. They'll say affection. They'll say, I just need to know that I matter. I need to know that I'm valued. I need to sometimes have affectionate touch that doesn't have to lead um, to sex. We're wired very different as individuals and as men and women in particular. Now, the scene could so easily be reversed, but quite frankly, most men, I think, can be at death's door. They're only just able to reach for the lem sip, mop their brow, give it a little sip, and their wife comes into the bedroom, puts a big toe under the duvet, and zing, there is miraculous healing. <laughs> Women, it's more complex. The relationship is bound up. Sex is bound up with the relationship as a whole. For us as women, it's about our minds. We need conflict to be resolved. We need to feel valued. We need to feel loved. But our mind for women is the most uh, powerful resource. And often, if we can make a choice to love our husband in this way, we, can, we often find that the feelings uh, then will follow. And for many women... A bet the key for men for a better sex life is really for women just to know that they're cherished and that they, they matter. But because of the very, very different ways that we're wired as men and women, it's really important for us to begin to talk about this at a level that we're able to. And for many of us, there might be issues. might be issues of disability. There might be issues of stuff from childhood. All kinds of different, might be physical things. And this is an area it is really worth um, not neglecting. And so if you need outside help, I really encourage you, um, give us a call at Care for the Family and we can point you in the direction of help in this area. So many of these issues, though, can be overcome just by bringing them out into the open. One of the issues that 
we have to talk about and that can come in the way of our sexual relationship is if either of us are regularly looking at pornography. Looking at porn is not the way to improve our marriage or our sex life. And again, if that's an issue for anyone, again, really encourage you to find a friend that you can be accountable to and get some support and help uh, in this area. And then just while we're on this subject, um, over the years, we have, I have never ceased to be amazed at the price that couples will sometimes pay uh, for the affair, the danger of the affair. It can hit every marriage. There's no room for complacency. In our house in Bristol, we have some chickens out the back. And the other day, I was cleaning them out. And I let them out, and I turned my back for a second, and the fox came and got one of the chickens. Now, that was a bit sad, but what was really amazing was that the other chickens just continued to wander around the little yard right in front of the fox, completely oblivious to the danger. And the same can be true of those who dabble on the edge of an affair. The Bible says this, it says, Be alert, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. We will be naive if we think that it will never happen uh, to us. And it can be so subtle. Affairs generally don't begin with sex. They begin way back with intimate conversations, with text messages, um, with special time. And it's then that we need to make the decisions upstream. It says about King David in 2 Samuel, it was springtime when kings go to war, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman washing. The woman was very beautiful and David sent someone out to find about her. And you'll know the story that then David commits adultery with Bathsheba. When did David lose that battle? with the affair. Well, I don't think it was when he was in bed with her. I think it was way back when he opened that little window of opportunity and asked, what's her name? And at Care for the Family, we talk about something called the 10 second rule. Over the years, we've talked to so many men and women who've been involved in affairs. They've never intended to. They've just happened to be in an innocent situation And then that's developed into something that has gone too far. They'll go on to talk and they'll just say, it just, it just happened. Now, when is the battle or or won or lost with the affair? It is way back then and it is in these 10 seconds. So maybe we're at a works uh, drinks party and we're having a really boring conversation with a work colleague. And over the room, we catch the eye of someone we're attracted to in the workplace. Do we leave the boring conversation and go across the room? Or do we stick that out and not take that 10 second opportunity or the 10 seconds it takes to pick up the phone or send the text message to invite him to meet you for lunch or the 10 seconds it takes to invite him and uh, or her uh, for the lift home. Just 10 seconds. Let's be vigilant. Let's be praying. Let's be on the front foot and protect our marriages uh, from those from those affairs. It's so easy. Any one of us um, can succumb to it. And the ripple effect 
is huge. Now, there may be people here who've been involved in an affair and there is forgiveness and there is uh, reconciliation and there is always the opportunity um, for hope. But for those um, for whom it could be a possibility now, we can't say enough. Um, let's be wise in this area. So the best protection from the affair is working at being together, communicating and cherishing each other. But one other thing that is really key to do in building that protection in our marriages and building that intimacy and togetherness is if we both have faith, is to pray together. It's the most powerful thing. When we first got married, we wanted to pray together, but we never, ever managed to do it. And it's partly because I thought we needed an hour to pray together, which we never had, so it never, ever happened. And then a wise friend once said to us, just pray little and often. And that's what we began to do. And over the 32 years of our marriage, we've developed a little habit now. First thing in the morning, for some reason it's usually me, goes to make a cup of tea. We quite often listen to um, a Bible passage or read a Bible passage and we pray together. And it doesn't take long. And it's not praying for Syria. It's not praying for refugees. It's not praying for the needs of the world. This is our time to pray for each other. And we'll just say, what have we got going on today? And we'll pray for each other, probably pray for our kids as well. But that draws us together. I think that's the most intimate thing that we can do together. It's very difficult to be mad at somebody and pray with them. So it's very good for keeping those short accounts. I travel a lot and I'm often away from Richard. And uh, we have learned from Rob Parsons. He, he travels a lot too. And I've seen him when he comes out from an event. Rob Parsons is the chairman of Care for the Family. And I speak at events with him. He comes out. The first thing he does is ring his wife, Diane, and they pray together on the phone. And Richard and I are trying to learn how to do that, how to learn to be spiritually together, even when physically we are apart. So our sexual relationship and praying together, two really important ways of uh, building that togetherness. Okay, so we're coming in to the end now. We've looked at communication. We've looked at all that, all that it means to cherish each other. The final, the final one is commitment. What does it mean to be committed to each other? As I said, we have four children and we have these three weddings. And I think for me, the most moving part of those weddings was when they said their vows to each other. When they were promising to be there for each other, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. I was hoping that those vows probably would never be called in for our children. I want them to have marriages that don't have challenges, but I know that that's just not possible. For every single one of us, those vows will be called in. We say, you know, I will love you if you're rich, and the vow asks, and what about when we're poor? I'll love you um, if you're well, and the vow says, consider sickness too. I'll love you for better, and the vow reminds us, and what about worse? Every single marriage will come the day when those vows will be called in. And in Care for the Family, we talk about something called January love. It's so easy when the sun is shining out of a clear blue sky, it's easy to love. 
But what does it take to love in January when those storm clouds come, when we have uh, illness or financial pressure or disappointment or just the sheer stuff of life and we feel like we're falling out of love? Rob Parsons tells a lovely story. He's counseling a young couple and they've got a little baby and they're sitting before him and the, the, the mom is holding, holding this little baby. She's about six months old. And the guy has decided to leave, the, leave his wife. And Rob says, why are you leaving? And he says, well, I don't feel in love anymore. And Rob said, did nobody tell you that particularly after the birth of a little one, the feelings of love go up and down? Did nobody tell you that sometimes you have to fight, you have to choose, you have to love with your will? And he says, no, nobody told me that. And Rob says he looks at this little baby. The first man in her life is about to walk out on her forever. And nobody told him. Choosing to love, loving sometimes in January. We live in a consumer society. My phone broke the other day. I took it to be repaired. And they said, we can't repair it. Just have an upgrade. And somehow... That kind of uh, thinking has seeped into the way that we can treat relationships. We treat them as disposable. But the commitment that God calls us to in marriage is to love uh, for the long haul. Maybe we don't find each other as attractive as uh, we once did. Maybe simply the sparkle seems to have gone out of our, our relationship. We don't feel in love. Each one of us will reach that moment in our, in our marriages. Society will tell us to throw in the towel, but actually God calls us uh, to something higher. To learn what real love is, we learn to love with our will. If you think when God talks about love in the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave. Love is an action. It's not possible to save every marriage. It's not even desirable sometimes. If there is violence and abuse, it's not possible. But by and large, let's seize every opportunity we can to put on love, to walk uh, together. I just want to end with a story that sums up so much of what we've been saying today. I was in a taxi going to the station and I was chatting to the taxi driver, and he told me about his marriage. He said he'd been married for about 30 years, and their marriage had had all the usual ups and downs. But then he said a while ago, his wife uh, reached up in the supermarket for a tin, and it fell from her hand. And then she got up in the night to go to the bathroom, and she slipped, and she tripped, and she fell. And she went to the doctor, and they told her that she had a degenerative disease that was affecting her muscles. And then uh, they had various tests and the doctor said to her, what you need to do is you need to get a machine um, in the home to try and work on your muscles. But that didn't go well. They said, try, he said, try going to a gym. But that was too painful as well. And that didn't go well either. And then one day through the letterbox came a flyer inviting them to go to ballroom dancing classes. And they decided to give it a go. He said, we weren't great at it. I had to help her around all the time. We certainly weren't strictly, but we gave it a go. Well, a couple of months later, he said, we were sitting having a cup of tea and we were reflecting on our marriage and on our life. And he said, what is it? He said, you tried those uh, machines that didn't work. You tried the gym. What is it about the dancing? And she looked up and she said, don't you know? 
because I do. It's because you're holding me. And I thought, what an amazing picture of marriage. And there'll be times for each of us when we have to be there and hold each other through those, through those difficult times, whatever the circumstances. And in John, the Apostle John says this, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. And in our marriages, God is for your marriage. He's for every single marriage. Jesus is our example as to how to lay down our lives for each other. But he also gives us his spirit as our enabler to help us to do that. And it's his power that will help us make those little choices in the everyday things and to build those marriages where we're standing together. Let's just take a moment, shall we, to pray. Father God, we want to thank you for every marriage represented here. Lord, you know the struggles, you know the challenges that people have faced and will face. You know the joys as well. And I just pray that this morning you will have ignited something in each marriage that will enable us to carry on loving each other, putting each other first, and that, Lord, you would put joy into marriages today. Thank you that our marriages have you at the center and, Lord, that they speak of you to our friends and family in the communities that we live in. And we just ask that you'd use us and use our marriages uh, to speak of you. So bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.